this morning in God's providence as we come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we also consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism on the Lord's Supper, and this is in Lord's Day 28 on page 16 in the back of the Psalter, page 16 in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 28, and we'll read that before the sermon. Lord's Day 28, and this Lord's Day really gives us instruction on how we profitably can partake of the sacrament. Question 75, how art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all his benefits? Thus, or this way, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of, his, of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him, adding these promises, first that his body was offered and broken on the cross for me and his blood shed for me, as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. And further, that he feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood, as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. What is it then to eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ? It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ, and thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal, but also besides that, to become more and more united to his sacred body by the Holy Ghost, who dwells both in Christ and in us, so that we, though Christ is in heaven and we on earth are notwithstanding flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and that we live and are governed forever by one spirit, as members of the same body are by one soul. Whereas Christ promised that he will certainly feed and nourish believers with his body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in the institution of the supper. And then there's a quote from 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll read later in the, ser in the service. And then this promise is repeated by the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, because we are all partakers of that one bread. Let's open in Scripture now and read from the Gospel account in Luke of the institution of the Lord's Supper, Luke chapter 22, and we'll read from verse 7 uh, through verse 20. Luke 22, beginning at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed, and he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, 
where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found, as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover, and when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. We read this far in the holy and inspired word of God. In the sermon last Sunday evening, I gave you four questions to consider in preparation, self-examination, before we come to the Lord's Supper. And the first two questions were these, am I truly sorry for my sins, and do I really believe in Jesus Christ? And when we put those two questions together, we see that the purpose of self-examination was not that we become fixated on ourselves and our sins and our weaknesses, but that we through the lens of our sins, look to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. And that's our purpose in coming to the sacrament this morning, to look to Jesus Christ. He calls us this morning to remember that his body was broken and his blood shed for the remission of our sins. We considered last week in Lord's Day 29 that the Lord's Supper is a celebration of the finished work of Jesus Christ. In that way, it is a memorial. We want this morning to expand on that a little and look not only at a memory of the past or a celebration of the past, what Christ has done, but also see the significance of the sacrament in the present and also with regard to the future. And so we want this morning to consider this truth regarding the sacrament under this theme, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, from three perspectives, past, present, and future. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus Christ as a memorial event at a memorial event. Jesus and his disciples were gathered as we read in Luke chapter 22, for the Passover feast. The Passover feast was a meal of remembrance of the night when Israel was delivered from the bondage of Egypt. They ate the Passover lamb. On the doorposts of the house in which they ate that lamb, the blood of the lamb was splattered so that the angel of death passed over them and they were spared the wrath of God in the angel of death. After they had finished this celebration, after the supper, 
And you see that in Luke chapter 22, there was a cup of thanksgiving that Jesus passed around at the end of the celebration of the Passover. And then, subsequent to that, he took bread and broke it and gave it to them and gave them the cup again as a new kind of memorial feast. He took the bread, he broke it, he shared it with his disciples, and with his shocking words to their ears, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And then he repeated it with the wine and said, this is my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. That's recorded in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28. And he gave them the bread and told them to eat. He gave them the wine. He told them to drink from it, all of them. And he said to them, keep on doing this together as the church until I come again. And with those words, the Lord's Supper became the memorial meal of the New Testament church, not now with a lamb and in memory of deliverance from Egypt, but now with bread and wine symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in remembrance of a greater deliverance, the fulfillment of the deliverance from Egypt in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, in remembrance of his love, his giving his body and blood as the great sacrifice of deliverance from sin. And the symbolism of the sacrament is a reminder of that. It points us directly to the death and the suffering, the brokenness and the pouring out of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so 1 Corinthians 11 says that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we do show forth His death until He comes. So this morning, we remember first something in the past, the death And the suffering of Jesus Christ. Now when Jesus says this do in remembrance of me. He's not telling us here just to remember something like we might have a memory from our past and tell stories about it. But he's telling us to remember a significant event. Create. He's creating a memorial of this significant event. And it's not just some significant event. We have other memorials of significant events. You can think of the holidays that we have, national holidays. We can even think of the the religious holidays that we have. We remember the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas. But Jesus is saying here that you are to remember the most significant event that ever was. The one that is the center point of history. The one that was the purpose of God in all of his making and decreeing before He began before this world began. Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This is what we remember as we come. So it's not merely a memory, but it's something so significant that it has changed the world and has changed your life and my life as believers. And our remembering then is a celebration and a faith in the death and the suffering of the Lamb of God. Now, to help us remember this and to meditate on it this morning, I have five words for us to meditate on as we come to the sacrament. These words all start with the letter V, and they all come or arise from the words of the institution that Jesus gives in the different gospel accounts and 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11. First, concerning the death of Jesus Christ, which we are remembering this morning. We remember that this was a voluntary death. That Jesus laid down his life. That Jesus himself gave his life. That's here in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. This is my body which is given for you. His life was not taken from him. His death was not the result of a series of unfortunate events. His death was not by accident, but it was voluntary. He gave it. In his death, he was an absolute sovereign control of the circumstances. We see that here even as he prepares for the supper and tells his disciples, I've prepared, go. There's a room, there's a table, the man will know. And we see Jesus carefully, as it were, orchestrating the events that would lead up to his death. And so it was as he went to Calvary. No one took his life from him. He gave his back to the smiters. As the good shepherd, he laid down his life for his sheep. No one could take it from him. He had the power to lay it down. It was a voluntary death. And he remained in absolute control of the moment of his death till the very end so that Jesus himself gave up the ghost and the soldiers and Pilate himself were surprised that he was so soon dead. It was voluntary. When something is voluntary, it has to do with the will. This is the will of God. And then what a gracious thing to think of that he voluntarily gave himself. Second, the death of Jesus Christ was vicarious, a vicarious sacrifice. That means that he didn't die for himself. He took the place of others in his death. He didn't die because he deserved to die himself, but he died because others deserved to die. And that's there in the words of the institution of the sacrament again again in, in verse 19 here in Luke 22. This my body which is given for you. One word, a little preposition, which summarizes the entire gospel. That word for, this my body is given for you, means literally in the place of you. In your place, for your benefit, because you deserve to die. I have come and given my body for you. This is why he came, Mark chapter 10 verse 45, to give his life a ransom to take the place of sinners. The death of Jesus Christ was a transaction. He paid the price to set us free from the wrath of God and the tyranny of Satan. A price paid not to Satan, but a price paid to the just God. We deserve death, and He took that death on Himself. And He took the curse and the consequence of our sin. And what a price He paid. Voluntary, vicarious, and valuable. And now think of the blood represented in the wine of the sacrament. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't purchase our freedom with silver and gold, but with the infinite price of his own blood. The greatest price that was ever paid in all of history to purchase anything. 
We marvel sometimes at what people will pay for things, a dress that a princess has worn, a car that a celebrity has driven, tens of millions of dollars. Jesus paid the price of his blood, and it wasn't for something corruptible, but it was for the incorruptible possession, the eternal possession of our salvation. That was the cross. That was the suffering of Jesus Christ. With his own blood, he bore the infinite weight of the wrath of God that our sins deserved and purchased for us that eternal possession of salvation. Voluntary, vicarious, valuable, and vast. Wide. In, Ma- in Matthew chapter 26, in the words of institution, verse 28, Jesus says, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He didn't die for just a few. He didn't die for a handful. He didn't die for an isolated group of people at one point in one place in history. But in his death, he paid the immense price for an immense number of people. So, so large that from a human point of view, they are without number as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore for multitude, a vast number from every language and nation and class and gender and age, from every part of the earth and all throughout history. My blood is shed, he said, for many for the remission of sins. What an encouragement for this small band of disciples who at this moment are distressed. Jesus must say to them, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God. Believe in me. And he says to them, I will build my church. And here they were, little band and their Savior will soon be taken from them. Valuable. Vast. And then finally, victorious. And what we mean by that is that by his death, he actually paid for our salvation. As we saw last week, his sacrifice was a once-for-all-time sacrifice. He paid the price for sin. Not a drop of his blood was wasted, but all, for the, all those for whom he died are actually delivered. From the bondage of their sin. The the many for whom he died. The many who come to him repenting and believing. Are those whom the father in eternity has chosen. And given to his son. And who whom the spirit now comes to quicken. And to bring to faith and repentance. So that they come believing in Jesus Christ. Many. And this tells us that he didn't come to merely make salvation a possibility for men, to make it available for men, but he came and he paid the price and he secured your and my salvation so that his grace and his spirit and all the benefits of salvation come to those whom the Father has chosen and they will come to the Son. By his own blood, He purchased and redeemed out of many nations, tongues, and tribes a people chosen to everlasting life. What a victorious sacrifice. 
eternally secured, securing the salvation of his own. So this is what we remember this morning as we come to the sacrament, the voluntary, the vicarious, the valuable, the vast, the victorious suffering and cross of Jesus Christ. And as we partake, that means believing our sins are forgiven. That's the assurance of the sacrament and the promises that accompany it. But this remembrance is also a celebration of something in the present. And that's clear also in the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper, especially when Jesus says that we should do this till he comes again. And that, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, this is instituted by Jesus Christ to be a repeated ceremony, a repeated sacrament in the life of the believer and in the life of the church until he comes. And here the symbolism of the Lord's Supper extends beyond a memory of what Jesus Christ has done, and it involves you and me as believers. It includes us. Jesus did not simply break the bread and pour out the wine But he extended a hand to his disciples. He said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. And this is my blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. He gives it to them. He says, eat. He says, drink. And in that, he symbolizes nourishment and fellowship. We eat bread for nourishment. Bread is the staple of the human diet throughout history. It is that which Jesus identifies as the, in the Lord's Prayer as the main staple of our food. Pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we give bread to the hungry so that they may have health and nourishment. And that's the symbolism of the sacrament. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread which has come down from heaven. And he means by that that he's spiritual nourishment to all who receive him by faith. That's what it is to receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ represented in the bread and the wine. It is to receive Jesus Christ by faith. And the nourishment is not in the bread and the wine themselves that we receive, but the nourishment is from the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God's grace that works in the heart of believers. And now we really speak of the mystery of the sacrament, don't we? Our nourishment is by the Holy Spirit, and we really have insufficient words to describe the reality of what takes place. And God, the Holy Spirit, gives grace to us through the sacrament. We are nourished by the Spirit to life everlasting. You can think of a text like Philippians 1, verse 6. He that has begun a good work in you, that is, by the Holy Spirit, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. He'll continue to nourish you. And Jesus, this morning, as we come to the sacrament, tells us, don't look at the bread, don't look at the wine, but lift your hearts on high. And believe in me, and I will sustain you. Nourishment and fellowship, even fellowship with 
joy. Bread and wine. Wine is a symbol in the scripture of, of joy. And Jesus sat with his disciples at a table. And that's another part of the beautiful symbolism of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A symbol of our union to Christ. Our fellowship with him and all of his suffering and all of his saving work. And in that also our fellowship and communion with one another as part of the body. And that's not simply a calling that we have fellowship with one another. But it's a reality. This is true. We're all partakers of that one bread, Jesus Christ. And we're all baptized by one spirit into one body. He's saying, you too, as he gives us the bread and the wine, a part of the body, my body. As out of many grains being ground together, one bread is baked. And as out of many Grapes being pressed together, one wine floweth, so we all are one bread and one body in Christ. And that's what we express as we come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, our union with Jesus Christ, our participation in his saving work, and our connection to one another as believers. And then as we leave the sacrament, that is the application for us as well. We are members of one another, so that when one member suffers, we suffer together. When one member rejoices, we share in that joy. We love one another, we serve one another, we forgive one another in the body of Jesus Christ because we, by His grace, have been brought into this body. And we share then in the joy of our union, our salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the present, present significance of the sacrament. He nourishes me to eternal life. In the Song of Solomon, he brings me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. Past, present, and future. That's part of our celebration this morning that we celebrate in hope. And Jesus hints at that in the words of the institution of the sacrament in two places in Luke chapter 22. He says in verse 16, I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then again he says, I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he's telling them, you, you will continue you will continue to break bread. You will continue to pour wine. You will continue to partake of these together. But I will not be there with you to do it until it's fulfilled, finished in the kingdom of God. Fulfillment has the idea of something that symbolized coming to its final reality. And what's fulfilled is the reality of supping, of eating, of banqueting, with Jesus Christ. And so the book of Revelation chapter 19 describes this in verses 7 through 9 as the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the marriage supper of Jesus Christ and His church. This is the church of Jesus Christ coming into the final perfection of marriage together. 
And this is Jesus' way as he sits with his disciples of saying farewell until then. We've all been at something like a last meal. Our hearts are heavy and Jesus expresses that heaviness of heart. From a human point of view, there was sorrow here among the disciples. There was sorrow and sympathy that Jesus had for them. But he says we will do this in fulfillment in the kingdom of God to come. A marriage supper. A great feast. If we think of marriages in the Bible, and you have this in John chapter 2 where Jesus came to the wedding at Cana of Galilee. These feasts went on for days and there was rejoicing that went on for days and days. Not a quick evening like we have for a wedding celebration. What a beautiful picture in that. There's a, there's a picture of the ongoing joy that we will have in communion with Jesus Christ when finally we come to glory. Heaven will be a feast. Heaven will be a day of fellowship. Heaven will be the day when, as Jesus puts it in the parable of the marriage supper, many from the highways and the byways will be called and brought in. A day when we'll be clothed in the white robes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A day of perfection. When all the sins of the past will be forgotten. All the struggles of the present overcome. Perfection. Now, Paul says, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I be known, even as also I am known. We won't need the sacrament anymore because we will be in the presence of Christ himself. And so as we come to the sacrament this morning, we remember the past sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the fellowship and nourishment in the present and with hope we look forward to the perfect fellowship and the fulfillment of of this when we all will come with all the redeemed to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the presence of Christ himself. Amen.